You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. I just want to say, first of all, thank you for your prayers for me. Some of you know that I had some non-COVID health concerns over the past couple of weeks and, um, you know, a little scared about some of that. Um, And, you know, some of us, here's the part that's going to be weird for some of you, is that some of us believe that some of my physical problems were like a spiritual attack in some capacity. You know, they say that intercessors, people that pray for you, can sometimes feel the same thing as the person for which they're praying. And my main intercessor actually felt the same exact physical problems as I did at the same time I was feeling them. And look, here's the bottom line, is that last week I felt so bad, my doctor sent me to the hospital. You guys prayed for me, and here I am sitting at church today, right on. So can we thank the Lord for that? And also, uh, would you guys join me in thanking Pastor Joe Mena for an awesome and timely word last week? How awesome was that? That was encouraging. Now... As we transition into our Bible study, I want to ask for some grace from those of you that are new to church or those of you that are our spiritual investigators, because some of the things we're going to study today are going to seem a little bit harsh. But what I know about you is that you don't want us to gloss over or hide the parts of the Bible that are harder to receive, but you want us to pull back the curtain and tell you what it really says. And that's actually what we're going to be doing today. And so um, we'll get to the encouraging part later on in this service, but you guys are going to hang with, have to hang with me through what sounds like some pretty harsh stuff early on. Now, as we've studied Revelation, we've gone by this timeline that I'll show you on the back screen. If you look at the far left-hand corner, you'll see the cross of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he rose again from the dead, and he instituted what's called the church age, or what we call the space of grace, see? But then at some time in the future, a lot of us believe there's going to be something called a rapture that's going to happen, where the church or the kids of Jesus are raptured up into the clouds to be with him. And then after the rapture will be seven years of tribulation on the earth. And then following the tribulation will be the second coming of Jesus to the earth. And then the millennial reign of Christ that we'll talk about in future weeks. But as you look at that chart, you got to understand that this is how I believe it's going to go down. There are people that I love and respect that would totally disagree with me in the way that I view the book of Revelation. Some people would say the rapture is not going to happen before the tribulation. Some people say it'll happen midway through or at the end of the tribulation that we'll have to go through all of that. And my point in teaching you this is not so that I can be right or so that we can out-argue our Christian friends about the rapture. So the point is not to be right, but to be prepared, right? We want to be prepared for the future, however it plays out, right? And so I saw this quote that Pastor Lee gave me from Rabbi Schneider, who is a scholar on the book of Revelation. He says, biblical history proves that even those educated prophetic scholars can miss a prophecy's meaning and fulfillment. And it is very likely that during the season of the Lord's return, including the time of God's wrath unleashed, some things will happen differently than what we thought 
they might. So we come to Revelation with a whole lot of humility, right? We just want to be prepared. We said we want to live our lives now with the end in mind. But here's the thing about Americans and God is that Americans don't like a God who wants to tell them what to do. Or Americans don't like a God that would eventually judge people. And here's why. Because Americans say, you do you and I'll do me. Have you ever heard that? People say, you do you and I'll do me, right? We don't like having a God who's going to disagree with us. And that's why I've shown you before this quote from pastor and author Timothy Keller. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Isn't that the truth? And so I've shown you that before, and I'll probably show it to you again because it's so true and so apropos to our lives. But you know, we tend as Americans to like our freedom, but here's the thing that's happening right now in America and Western culture is that freedom, the concept of freedom, personal freedom, is being radically transformed. So for a lot of Americans, I think that Pastor and other John Mark Comer describes the American view of freedom, that it's freedom to do whatever the hell you want, okay? That's what a lot of Americans believe freedom is, and he's not trying to be crass in the way that he says that. He's actually trying to be theologically correct in the way he talks about people's view of freedom. Freedom, And I think what we all know is that we all have to put some level of constraint on our lives. I mean, you can eat whatever you want and die of a heart attack, right? So what we know is we want to try and have some level of constraints on our lives that helps us. And that's why uh, I think Dr. Keller has a good definition of freedom. And what he says is freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but the presence of the right restrictions. See? And what God gives us in the Bible are the right restrictions that help us live our best life possible. And when we have true spiritual freedom, Jesus says that we'll consider the rights of other human beings. You know, Jesus is the one that introduced the concept of human rights to the world, see? Because Jesus taught that every human, even those who don't believe in God, are made in the image of God. Yet many in our world and most of us were raised in a Darwinian worldview. And in that particular worldview, it says that humans are just animals a bit more uh, advanced with it a bit more advanced brains than the other animals. And so this worldview's logical conclusion is is that there's no need for human rights because it's just the survival of the fittest. So the way it plays out in practicality is, let's say there's a thief, and that thief wants to rob your grandma and take her money, take advantage of her by taking her money, then the thief is basically just following a worldview. He's saying, look, I'll, you do you, I'll do me. And me doing me is stealing from who I want to buy the stuff that I want to buy. But I think we all know, practically speaking, that doesn't work, does it? Perhaps some of you saw in your news feeds an article I saw in The Guardian, California mother fights off mountain lion with bare hands to save five-year-old son. And if you read the article, you would see that there's a little boy, five-year-old, who was playing out in the yard. A mountain lion grabs the little kid and starts dragging him out of the lawn. Well, uh, you know, 
ladies, moms, we fear you, okay? We know that the best way to see your rage come out is to jack with one of your kids. And this mountain lion learned the hard way because his mom bolted out into the yard and gave this mountain lion a beat down with her bare hands, right? It doesn't matter if it would have been a rhino. The wrath of a mother is beyond what any being or any creature can withstand. And so the mountain lion ran off and she contacted wildlife officials who went and put the mountain lion down later on. Now look, that woman didn't wake up that day thinking, I want to beat down a mountain lion and you know, send a fit officials to put down this glorious creature. I mean, you know, mountain lions are beautiful creatures, right? But here's what took place there, is that when the mountain lion said, you do you and I'll do me, the mom said, I can no longer allow you to do you. You follow me? The mom said, no, 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 you, you can't you do you on my kid. And when we come to the book of Revelation, the reason I told you that is because Revelation, the, I guess, judgments in Revelation is when God has finally put his foot down after thousands of years of the spirit of Antichrist at different seasons oppressing and terrorizing his kids. It's God finally saying in Revelation, I'm no longer allow, gonna allow you to do you. This has got to stop. So we've looked at over the past weeks in Revelation, the seven seals, and I brought a picture of a scroll with seven wax seals on it. And each time one of the seals is broken, another judgment is revealed. And we've looked at the first six, and today we're gonna look at the seventh seal, which is gonna unleash seven more judgments, seven trumpets of judgments. And in case you didn't see the last talk on that subject, it's entitled Keep Looking Up. You can see it on our YouTube. You can find it on our SoundCloud podcast or on iTunes or wherever we do podcasts. But look at the seventh uh, seal being opened in Revelation chapter eight, verse one. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. So what's this silence in heaven all about? Why does it get quiet? Because if you read your Bible, you would know that there was a big, loud worship experience going on in heaven. And now all of a sudden, hush, it's quiet. What's going on there? Well, I was reading one theologian on this, Dr. William Newell, and he says the silence reflects God's reluctance to judge. That's the last thing that God wants to do is have to judge. He is patient with people. He's done everything he can to wake people up and help people come to faith in Jesus and experience his grace and mercy. And now there's like a holy hush in heaven, this is like the calm before the storm. There's an ominous silence when all the angels of heaven know what's about to go down. And so take a look at the trumpet number one, hail fire mixed with blood. We see that in Revelation chapter eight, verse seven. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on earth. And look at this, a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Can you imagine the effects of burning up a third of the vegetation and all the grass 
on the earth. Can you imagine the ecological effects of something like this? If there's no grass left, what are the deer and the antelope and the cows going to, what are they going to graze on? What are they going to eat? And what effects will that have on the rest of the food chain there? So this is what happens when people say, you do you and I'll do me. And it's about to get worse, so I need you to put your seatbelts on and hang with me through these trumpets. Look at trumpet number two. The sea becomes blood, Revelation 8, 8. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So can you imagine a third of the seas turned to blood and a third of the ocean life has been killed? Now, remember, John is describing a vision that he saw and he's just using the language and metaphors that he has in his head. So when John talks about a mountain that falls from the sky, he could be describing an asteroid of some sort. So this has inspired movies, hadn't it? You know, people thinking about an asteroid potentially hitting the world. Perhaps some of you have heard of asteroid 1950DA. And this is the the asteroid that scientists believe has the best shot at actually hitting the Earth. And if this thing hit the Earth, it would be a pretty big deal. Um, I mean, this thing is like, um, you know, like a mile wide. Um, This thing would be like a million tons of TNT hitting the earth. Now understand that the chances aren't really that high, so don't freak out. And they say that it has the best chance of hitting, if it does, in 2880. So the year 2880. So that's a long time from now, right? So don't freak out about this thing hitting the earth. But if you imagine the stench and the smell of a third of the sea life being dead. You know when you go to the ocean and there's like one or two dead fish there, it smells like great. Can you imagine a third of all the ocean is dead? Now, understand that scientists tell us that a majority of our oxygen is produced by plankton in the ocean. 58% of our oxygen, some scientists would say as much as 80% of the oxygen that you and I breathe comes from the plankton. So if a third of the plankton is dead, it's going to be hard to breathe. And when you can breathe, it's going to smell like death warmed over, right? It's going to be like going into the closet of your teenage boy and smelling his shoes. I mean, it's going to be a bad smell, right? But look, look at the third trumpet, falling star, Revelation eight ten. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is what? Say that word with me. Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. So the fresh water is affected in a negative way. A third of the fresh water, drinking water, is turned to wormwood, turned bitter. Now, this great burning star, we don't know if it's a comet. We don't know if it's an asteroid or what it is. He's just describing it the best way he knows how. But there's significance in that name of the star, wormwood, see? Now, some of you 
are old enough to remember, or perhaps some of you have read online about Chernobyl, Ukraine. Some of you remember Chernobyl and what happened there when radioactive material escaped a nuclear power plant and contaminated the earth. Immediately, 31 people died at Chernobyl during the problems with that nuclear power plant. And then another 200,000 people were negatively impacted by Chernobyl. The scientists tell us that 20,000 years is the time it'll take for Chernobyl to be inhabitable again because it is so toxic there in the atmosphere. Well, if you were to go back to the late 80s after Chernobyl happened, the New York Times did a piece on Chernobyl in which they featured an atheist Russian author. And this atheist Russian author actually read in the article Revelation 8 that you and I are studying today, the verse about Wormwood. And then this Russian author turned to Ukrainian dictionary and pointed out the name of Wormwood in Ukrainian language. Do you want to know the name for Wormwood in Ukrainian? Chernobyl. Yeah. So Chernobyl is certainly not a fulfillment of the third trumpet in Revelation 8, but I believe it is a picture of things to come, right? There's going to be catastrophic things coming. Now look at trumpet number four, the effect on the sun, moon, and stars. Revelation 8, 12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. So all of our natural light sources will be affected. They'll be dimmed by a third. What kind of effect will that have on the earth? And this is actually something that Jesus warned us about. And Luke wrote down what Jesus said about it in Luke chapter 21, verse 25. He said, there will be signs in the Get this, sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity. Remember, anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. So when the sun, the moon is messed with, that'll jack with the tides, won't it? So the tossing of this, it'll cause the tossing of the sea. It'll cause anguish and perplexity. You know how people get when, the, when it's dark, how people get depressed. Like if you go out to Seattle right now, you would see people dealing with depression because it's so gray and dreary there because they don't have enough sunlight. In fact, the U.S. Census Bureau uh, found, they did a survey and they found in Seattle that mid-November that 50% of the adults in Seattle are dealing with depression. So can you imagine what it's going to be like when a third of the light sources are dimmed and with less sunshine, the earth gets colder, doesn't it? So it's going to be cold. Studies show us that crime gets worse the darker it is. And so crime will be worse at that time. And that leads us to the last two trumpets. Trumpets five and six. And I've combined these two because they both represent an evil army that is coming. Let me show you this evil army. Now we're in Revelation nine. 
Look at verse two. It says, when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. Release, now I'm down in verse 14. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. So if you add that up, you come up with an army of 200 million. Not 2 million, but 200 million. And I'm here to tell you today that the fifth and sixth trumpets are no human army that we've ever seen before. But I believe this is a demonic army. It's Satan and his demons. In fact, look at the words straight from Revelation 9 that are used to describe this evil army. John calls them locusts. We see locusts are a metaphor for demons all throughout the Bible. Scorpions, this is a metaphor Jesus used for demons. Abaddon, like a demon of destruction. Apollyon, angels who are bound. Who are the angels that are bound? We know that demons are just fallen or bound angels. Um, and then the last one, a fallen star. Who's the fallen star? I believe that's Satan. Because John uses a personal pronoun for fallen star here. It's a personality. It's a being. It's not an astrological star. So I believe it's Satan falling. And then you can do a cross-reference to Isaiah where Isaiah writes about the fall of Satan in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, when he says, oh, how you have fallen from heaven, morning what? Star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, see? So this is Satan, this demonic army. And what the Bible describes in Revelation is that during the fifth trumpet, demons will torment human beings for five months at a time. But then when the sixth trumpet blows, these, these demons won't be held back. They will not just torment people, but they'll be able to kill a third of the earth. And for some reason, this text mentions that these demons live at the ancient Euphrates River. What's the Euphrates River all about? Where is that river? Well, it's in ancient Babylon, modern-day Iraq. It's one of the four original rivers in the Garden of Eden. In fact, it's no coincidence that Revelation 18 that we'll study in a few weeks, mentions the fall of Babylon. And Revelation talks about Babylon, and it says it's the dwelling place of demons. See? So some of you may know that ancient Babylon is actually the place where occult or devil worship originated. Now let's go back to a question why is God eventually going to judge people? Well, I think we find part of our answer in this next verse, Revelation 9.20, when it says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, look at the next four, four words, still did not repent of the work of their hands. Now, if we look at, when we look at the next, rest of that verse, these aren't people that miss church on Sunday or or skipped a tithe. But it says, they did not stop worshiping 
demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they, what's that next word? Repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And so these people in the future, they're going to see the carnage of the trumpets and the seals and all the judgment that we've just gone through, and they still refuse to humble themselves and bow the knee before God. God has been patient. He's tried to wake them up, but they will still harden their hearts because they want to worship demons and continue in immorality and stealing and killing other people. And this word repent, it keeps popping up in Revelation, you know? In fact, it shows up 12 times in the book of Revelation. That's more than any other book in the New Testament of the Bible. Revelation uses the word repent. And you know what repent means? Simple. It just means you go from you do you to you do Jesus. That's what it is. It's no more you do you. It's look, you do Jesus. I want to live his way. I want to walk in his ways. Now, back in the 15th century, there was an Italian painter named Filippino Lippi, and he created this painting called The Virgin and the Child that we'll show you on screen here. And for years, the art critics just went to town and throwing shade on and criticizing this painting because they said the perspective on this painting was off. They said that the hills in the background look like they're about to fall out of the painting. And they said that Jerome and Dominic, who are on both sides of the baby Jesus and Mary there, uh, look kind of awkward and uncomfortable. But it was not until art critic Robert Cumming realized that this painting was not designed to hang in an art gallery, but it was designed originally to, to help and aid in prayer. So it was originally designed to be put up in a church to help people pray. And it was not until Robert Cummings knelt down on the ground in front of this painting and looked up that he saw from that angle, the perspective was perfect. And look, here's why I showed you that. It's because if you want to know and understand Jesus, you have to be willing to kneel down before him and repent. And then you will see him in his proper perspective. See? And we want to be people who humble ourselves before him. We want to be a people of repentance and change. Now, you guys have been really good today to hang with me through all these judgments, right? Will you pat, pat someone on the back next to you and tell them you've been really good at judgment and the desecration of a third of the ocean and destroying sea world and all of that? You've been really good. And anybody besides me ready for some encouragement? Okay, I'll take it. I don't know about you. Everybody's like, thank you, Pastor Doug. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, so anyway, um, look at our end, end times chart again. Okay, all this judgment we were talking about was during the seven years of tribulation, right? That's in the future. Where are we right now on the timeline? The space of grace, right on? And that is encouraging news. That right now, you and I are in the space of grace where we can encounter the goodness 
of God. Like Paul says, his kindness leads us to repentance. See, um, we don't have to have plagues come all the time. And we certainly, we have, you know, problems in this life. Like Jesus said, we would, but we're not uh, dealing with the plagues or the judgments of the tribulation period. And so God's heart right now is to help as many people as possible to experience his love, his grace, and his mercy. And look, there's no time like the present. There's no time like now to receive him if you've never begun a relationship with Christ. And look, if you're a spiritual investigator, we love you so much. If you're someone that's not yet believed and you are willing to come to a church service, we respect that. You know, we love you here. We're here for you. And we want you to believe in Jesus. And man, if you have the capacity to do that, man, receive him today. You know, be prepared for these things um, in the future. But look, if you need to study it out and think through it some more, we totally understand that too. We're not like a spiritual car salesman, you know, telling you, what do I have to do to put you in this spiritual eternity today? You know, we're not doing that, you know. Um, but we want you to think through it. And if you want some resources or you want a book to read to think it through, you can just go to info at citytribe.church. And I'd be more than happy to send you something at our expense here so you can uh, read through and think through what you believe about Jesus. But we want to be a people of repentance. And there are three areas in which we want to be people of change and repentance. Here they are. We want to repent from unbelief, from sin, from complacency. Unbelief, sin, complacency. Let me break them down each one. Unbelief. If you're an unbeliever, never believed in Jesus and you can have the capacity to do so, believe in him today. If you can believe in him. Now, others of you, you're Christians, but your faith and belief is waning because 24 seven, you're being bombarded by the messages of this world and alternate worldviews. And you may need to pray the prayer that I have on screen. Look at it with me. And here in a minute, we're going to pray it out loud. If you feel like you can say it authentically, I want you to pray this with me out loud. But look at the words first and just digest it to make sure you can pray this. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Let's say it together. Jesus, I choose to seek you. Please reveal yourself to me. Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, the second thing we want to repent of is sin or dysfunction or, you know, things that the Bible says is wrong for us to do. And as we look at sin, and as I say sin, I'm not shaking my finger at you and trying to bring guilt and shame on you. And you know why? Because you showed up today. You wouldn't have showed up here today if you didn't want to change, would you? That's why you came. You want help. And a lot of churches put a heavy burden on you and then they don't lift a finger to help you. And Jesus said, I'm not down with that. And so look at the prayer on screen. And I took a version, I took part of the serenity prayer and added a sentence to it that will be our prayer of repentance from sin because we want to change from that stuff that's destroying our lives, don't we? So look at that prayer and digest it. And here in a minute, we'll pray it if you feel like you can authentically speak these words. Look at it. Ready? Here we go. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. 
courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I ask for your help to change. I cannot do it on my own. So Lord, come and help us change. Because we like, we're trying here and we need your help. The last thing we wanna repent of is complacency. And can I tell you that this complacency thing is as much for me as it is anyone else in this room. Because I don't want to grow smug and uncaring and think to myself, well, hey, I'm all good with God. I have my relationship with God, but you people who don't know him, sucks to be you, man. (laughs) But I don't want to think like that, but I want to have a compassion. I don't want to grow complacent about the needs of other people in our world who don't yet know God. I want to have a burden for people who could miss the rapture. You hear about the rapture, the end times, or the abundant life in Christ, and do you want to make sure that other people get prepared for that stuff too? Yes. That's God's heart, and that should be on our hearts. And can I ask you, City Tribe, have we grown a little bit complacent around here? Have we gotten to a place where we said, oh, we got our cozy little theater and it's nice and we can huddle and cuddle and just love each other. But those people out there, we don't need to worry about them. I think, I think we want different, don't we? I think we want to have a burning desire to see them reached and to see them come to know Jesus and be changed and experience true, real, spiritual freedom. Right on? So look at the prayer on screen regarding complacency and digest it. And if you can say this, pray this, authentically with me. I want you to pray it with me out loud. You ready? Here we go. Jesus, increase my burden and love for those who don't yet know you. And so, God, our prayer is that we would be a people that are not complacent, but are loving and proactive in reaching others. God, I pray that we would not be a people who are in sin, but people who are moving towards purity in every facet of our lives. We want to change and be more holy and pure, just like you, our good Father. And God, we don't want to be be a people of unbelief, but we want to be strong in faith. And when we get a word from you, it is for sure going to happen. When we get a word from you, we know we can trust you that all your promises come true 100% of the time. And we are willing to step out in faith, even when it's scary to follow you in faith, belief, and victory pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for, yeah, right on. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.